This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners. In 2009, Dr. Atugalwande wrote this landmark article, The Cost Conundrum, about McAllen, Texas, the highest cost region in the entire country for healthcare. It inspired a movement. President Obama used this article as a reason to pass the Affordable Care Act and spawn a new era of value based care through accountable care organizations. This week, we're joined by a value-based care transformational leader from the Rio Grande Valley. He was actually on episode number one of the Race to Value. His name is Edwin Estevez. He's a a colleague that I've collaborated with over the last few years. Uh, we're going to talk about how do we go about accelerating health equity in an underserved region. He's going to be talking specifically about the Rio Grande Valley, but there's lessons to be learned about how we can create a replicable model for convening and co-opetition that can create an impact in transforming the outcomes for the most underserved and marginalized in in our communities. Edwin and I are working together uh, to put on an event uh, at the end of the podcast. If you're interested in learning more, there's going to be some information there. So without further delay, let's go ahead and, and hear from Dr. Edwin Estevez as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. Edwin Estevez, you are back, brother and friend. Welcome to the Race to Value. You were episode number one, and now we're here. We are at episode 184. I'm so excited to have you back, my friend. We have so much to talk about and catch up on, on all the great work that you're doing in the Rio Grande Valley to transform health equity. Brother Eric, thank you so much, man. Appreciate uh, the invitation once again. I I'm not sure if it's, if it's successful or just uh, enough people in between that from 1 to 184, here we are. And so congratulations to you and the work that you've done to the Race to Value podcast and everyone who's gone in between. It's been valuable, informative. It's been transformative. The content has been amazing. The guests have been just incredible. And so uh, excited to be back with you uh, in this conversation, but also Many, 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 many hugs and congratulations to to you and the team for uh, the continuation of this amazing opportunity. 
Well, this podcast is certainly a labor of love. I, I can't think of a better guest to have started it with. It's been a great platform for us to illuminate bright spots, share best practices, democratize knowledge, to uh, showcase the leading innovators and clinicians and the value economy. Before we get started, I did want to mention you and I are working together. I mean, we've partnered, I've known you for quite a few years in my work with the Institute for Advancing Health Value, and we're doing a, a big event together, a convening in the Rio Grande Valley that's really going to focus on advancing health equity through a community-based ecosystem and coalescing you know, providers and workforce entities and education partners and creating that cross-sector collaboration that's really needed to be a force multiplier for health equity. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the interview, but I just want to say it's been a pleasure working with you, and I can't wait to discuss some of the progress that's being made or, or even some of the challenges that need to be overcome. Uh, it's exciting to partner with you and work with you as well. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely provide a lot more details as to what's coming through this uh, uh, opportunity and, and uh, what I would call a, an, an open forum to be able to address uh, the to what extent has health value promoted health equity. And so I think there will be an exciting conversation for sure. Well, we'll certainly get into some of that work. Listeners, I'll let you hang on for the finale. But, you know, Edwin, I think it would be great if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, your work as a leader in value-based care, and and what you've been up to since uh, we last connected on episode number one a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, excited to continue to be in 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 the work uh, of of value-based care, I think it's a, it's a space that has provided an amazing platform to begin to shape policy and uh, redirect programs and understand services better through the lens of, of value-based care. And, and obviously in a community, I'm still here in Rio Grande Valley, um, which is exciting uh, a platform and, and space, amazing people doing really good work. Um, post uh, serving as a founding administrator for RGV ACO, uh, which was one of the first 27 MSSP back 10 years ago or so, uh, now working through multiple fronts, uh, still working in the space, and so currently serve as market president for Prominence Health, but also have launched a new venture. It's called AltaCare, and AltaCare is <clears throat> a singular platform uh, that provides an opportunity for, for management solutions to actually create a better patient outcomes. Our focus is, our vision is to have an optimization of patient experience, uh, where patients really feel the value of services and that that experience actually is the, the indicator that still missing in the value formula. Uh, we've paid a lot of attention to cost. We've paid a lot of attention to quality and still have uh, some room to go there. Uh, the patient experience is where we're paying a lot of focus in. And so we're excited to work with that. Uh, we support and and and, and empower uh, your healthcare team to, to maximize efficiency and streamline your processes so that you can optimize uh, those, those uh, care management opportunities. We focus on at-home care. And so we're excited to build this, this platform. This platform is leveraged by our partners, our solutions partners. And so we work with others to be able to coalesce and, and rather than creating competition, we, we create an opportunity to collaborate and bring solutions across the entire spectrum of how it impacts uh, the patient experience. So we're excited to do that and working with that. It's called AltaCare, uh, and you can find it at altacare.com and, and, and uh, more details to come as AltaCare is one of the sponsors of this event coming up on October 17th. 
Well, Edwin, let's uh, talk a little bit about the health equity transformation opportunity in your region, the Rio Grande Valley. You know, for the uninitiated, this is a a 50-mile stretch of towns that spans the border of Texas and Mexico. Often, it's simply just called the valley. You know, it's one of the fastest growing areas in the U.S., has large potential for economic and uh, transformation. I believe the population is projected to be around 1.4 million people currently. You know, a lot of people that haven't been to the region, they, they might think of, you know, this is a place with warm weather and great Mexican food and palm trees and, you know, just a really incredible culture. And it, it, it does sound like a utopia, but there's a more... I think to the RGV that meets the eye, I mean, there's this eclipsed reality because it it isn't an inherently diverse uh, region because of its location. You know, it's a border uh, region. It's nearly twice the population of El Paso. It's 90 percent Hispanic, and it has some of the poorest counties in the country. Um, And there's issues like poverty and lack of access to health care that burden the valley. And, you know, these factors are the leading cause of problems, including diabetes, obesity, cervical cancer. According to the RGV Health Connect organization, the region's median household income is $46,000, and that's compared to around $71,000, which is the median household income statewide in Texas. And the region has about a quarter of families that are living below the poverty level, which is nearly triple the percentage for the nation. And, you know, it's been estimated that you know, 76,000 people in the region have diabetes. So, you know, Edwin, I wanted to see if you could share with our listeners, most of whom have probably never visited the Rio Grande Valley. I mean, what is unique about this region of the country? And also with such disparities in healthcare and in high prevalence of diabetes, what is the opportunity for health equity transformation that if realized could serve as a replicable model for the rest of the country? That's a great question. And Great detail, Eric, in regards to the demographics and the landscape that ultimately shapes this community, this region, which continues to grow, fastest growing region in the state of Texas, uh, pretty significant uh, percentage of growth year over year in terms of economic development, although we still fall very behind. Uh, Incredible amount of uh, development in terms of housing, although that continues to be a major problem. Uh, Lots of unification uh, exercises between towns in terms of strategies to create better economic development. And and those alliances have produced uh, an increase in business growth. And so that's exciting, but still very much an underemployed area and obviously unemployed region. And so when, when you have this level of conundrum, right? This level of cacophony and, and, and dichotomy that exists in a region like this, the problems are manifested much more, uh, much stronger, right? And, and it creates an opportunity for better collaboration, better oversight of some, some of the programs that are coming into the market, better understanding of the real needs of people, whole person care focus that addresses to what degree truly folks are struggling with food and, and food insecurity or housing and transportation or perhaps uh, uh, the, their underemployment 
uh, creates a, a major significant economic gap to not pay for the bills on time and therefore creates some retraction. And so those realities are here. Those uh, needs are, are really impacting our community still. And so our work continues to bring light into that. Um, the overutilization of uh, avoidable ED visits is a representation of a number of underlying issues that folks still are dealing with that uh, basically promotes some of that uh, overutilization in this market. And so we stay focused on that. There are a number of CBOs, community-based organizations, that have risen to the task. Uh, you just quoted One Health Connect is a collective impact model that over the last 10 years has worked, uh, probably more 15 years has worked diligently to be able to be the 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 entity that brings folks together to bring collective impact and through data presents that information, makes awareness. There are a number of other institutions, there are a number of universities locally as well that have risen to the, the, the top, if you will, in regards to meeting the needs of the community. So while the troubles exist and the problems persist, so have the solutions and the people looking for opportunities to be able to meet the needs of folks. So, Edwin, many of our listeners may have heard about the Rio Grande Valley for the first time 14 years ago. You know, surgeon, writer, and public health researcher Dr. Atul Gawande wrote the landmark article, The Cost Conundrum, in The New Yorker. And Dr. Gawande showcased the, the challenges that these health systems confront when they're dealing with public and private insurers and the paradox between high-cost treatment options and low-quality outcomes. And his careful assessment of McAllen, Texas, which is a small city on the border, found that it had the most expensive health care in the nation. And seemingly there's this inextricable link between high health care costs and poor health equity. And, you know, the various health equity issues in the Rio Grande Valley include lack of access to medical care, disparity in treatment options and availability, unequal patient outcomes for different racial and ethnic groups. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, about 10 percent of people under the age of 65 don't even have access to health insurance. And the percentages for the four poorest counties in the RGV are, are much higher than that. I mean, the uninsured rates in the four counties in the valley are around 30%. And, you know, this Gawande article, it was a, a seminal moment to recognize the opportunity for healthcare transformation. And, and as I understand, it became mandatory reading uh, during the debate. Uh, surrounding President Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act in 2010, and it influenced uh, policy discussions. It encouraged providers to to reassess their practices in this region, you know, by starting these accountable care organizations. And and you know, this was the impetus to really get the ball rolling around health equity conversations and the RGV. And while while the gaps persist, I mean, families are still finding themselves struggling for access and affordable value based health care. But Edwin, I wanted to ask. You, you know, just if you could discuss the impact that the cost conundrum had in catalyzing the movement to value based care in the Rio Grande Valley, I mean, what were some of the successes that ACOs and other risk bearing entities have had in bending the cost curve in the region since this article was written about 14 years ago? 
Eric, thanks, thanks for that uh, question. I think you have laid out the data that ultimately has unfolded over the last 14 years and the triggers. And, and there are a couple of things in there that just crossed my mind. And I'll, I'll say these not necessarily in a pontificating way, rather in the reality that we that exists in, in, on top of us. I mean, healthcare is big business in the United States of America. It's it's a we all know the percentage of the GDP and and that uh, 20% of that GDP is is massively influenced by entrepreneurship, is massively influenced by a broken system of FIFA service, in my opinion, that actually promotes uh, some of the profiteering challenges that I think we saw and continue to see to a degree, but we saw massively, particularly in regions like these 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And so based on those, those premises, understanding that premise, well, markets like these and many others around the country were likely doing what they were encouraged to do, what they were allowed to do, what they were permitted to do in order to be able to uh, do the business of uh, medicine that ultimately is fundamental. Uh, and the economics of medicine is drives quite a bit of the conversation. And so when when you when you take a look at that proposition that you wanted to create something of value and the, its definition of quality over cost and then we added the experience as we moved along then it promoted it jolted folks around here and what is impressive about areas like the valley was that once called out Folks stepped up to the plate and said, okay, you want to hold me accountable for costs and over quality? Give me data. Provide me data. Let me see where things are at and what can be done, and we will be able to do that. But you have to have a reimbursement model that facilitates what we do in this community. I mean, think about it. There is one for every 4,000 members. There's a primary care physician in this market. So access to care is pretty challenging. Folks in this market still to date wait once they have an appointment. And they go to their clinics. They're still waiting two hours to be seen, an hour and a half to be seen, maybe an hour. Some clinics are getting much better than others in terms of that. And so the reality of access to care is that some of these folks are actually saying, come, you're going to have to wait a little bit, but we'll see you. We'll see you same day. Uh, come and walk in. Whatever the case may be, uh, those those folks stepped up. So RGV ACO, RGV Health Alliance, South Texas Clinical Partners ACO, and others who have been in the market now over the last five years have triggered a massively important awareness and consciousness to say, if we do hold systems responsible, if we do hold them accountable, and we increase the likelihood of risk, you are going to see the costs being uh, are taken down. You, it's gonna, it's gonna be reduced, if you will. And so that reality is there. The data shows that actually in the conference that we'll talk about it here in a minute will show that trend data of the degree in which cost has been reduced. If you force quality in the hands of providers, to what degree does that improve? Uh, and, and if you measure that and you ask them to do certain basic medical engagement of preventative medicine to the degree in which it's preventative, but also perhaps even mindfulness of engagement where you're seeing the whole person and you're asking and assessing an annual wellness that now is incentivized even much better. And so those, those opportunities have been developed. You got hospital systems who now are beginning to embrace value-based care in ways in which are much different than before, creating uh, opportunities for direct admission so that the, uh, the the hospital bill is only allocated to the admission, not through the ER and other 
uh, opportunities for fee-for-service that are there. And I can name a number of other strategic implementations that have actually begun, uh, uh, that started then and have continued today, the opportunity to move the needle around curving the costs, improving the quality, and now hopefully we move into that patient experience much more directly, which is why the health equity conversation matters most, is, is to be able to address if we pay attention to the patient, if we pay attention to their needs, if we are responsive to their timing and all of the social influencers that affect their health, and we find opportunities to tear down the barriers that ultimately improve that health, now you'll begin to see the whole formula put together. And I think that that's, we are at the cusp in markets like these to begin to think about how to do that well. Well, Edwin, underlying this health equity challenge in the Valley, there's also a critical shortage of doctors and nurses and other professionals. Um, the Texas uh, Department of uh, State Health Services projects that there's a shortage of primary care physicians. Uh, that'll be around 700 plus uh, FTEs by 2030. And in terms of health equity transformation, having access to an adequate and diverse workforce to deliver you know, this patient-centered care, you know, through these interdisciplinary teams is crucial. I mean, the key enabler for health equity is workforce readiness to deliver on that promise of high value, high quality, cost-effective, equitable care. A solution to this is really the reskilling and upskilling of the workforce through scalable educational programs. We have to provide pathways to establishing competency and population health and health equity. And, you know, there was um, a recent survey of health system CEOs done by the American College of Health care executives. And the number one challenge that was cited in that survey was the workforce. And, you know, previously financial challenges had held the top spot for 16 years in a row. So now workforce is, is the top of mind for everyone right now that's running a healthcare organization. So Edwin, I, I just wanted to see if you could share your insights on the unique healthcare workforce challenges that are facing the Rio Grande Valley and how will addressing the staffing shortage and, and also providing workforce development and population health be a force multiplier for health equity transformation in years to come? Yeah, no, that's a great indicator, I think, that will continue to be monitored and hopefully fed, uh, not only by the local universities, but also by uh, universities that are interested in developing this um, opportunity of growth and universities like WGU who has a competency-based model, uh, uh, universities locally here like UTRGV that have a pretty on-site, well-affordable uh, programs and South Texas Health College and so on and so forth. There's a number of feeders that are now uh, really actively engaged in developing a populace that is are ready to be able to do the work necessary there. So on one end, you got a feeder program that is that is necessary to be uh, uh, fomented, to be uh, developed, to be ensure that it's got the right uh, pricing points and, and ability to be able to get to the populace that needs it most in order to get there. On the other end, you got some economic forces that ultimately impact uh, the, the labor mechanics and, and the, to the degree that labor in that operational uh, margins analysis ultimately is determined. I mean, COVID really uh, created a, a, an avalanche of, and, and, and perhaps even 
really a lot of confusion as to what are the right uh, salaries, the right uh, feeders, the right uh, numbers of nurses, uh, uh, if you will, that could be on site. Uh, we got uh, uh, universities with medical school programs here more than ever now. Uh, hundreds of medical students are on uh, in this market now where they were not here five years ago. And so all of these mechanics create, and we know that about 60 to 70% of medical students uh, tend to stay at the place uh, regionally where they actually got their, their medical degree and, and their residency. So that those, those elements uh, are going to have their impact and they're going to change the way in which labor ultimately is utilized and, and connected to the problem. The reality is that today we're still very much in shortage of it. And so, as I mentioned before, the access to care continues to be probably the pinnacle of problems related to equity and, and opportunities for folks in this market. It's it's unmanageable and it's unfathomable to think that our folks have to wait so long to be seen for a basic primary care engagement. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's astronomically crazy to believe that folks can easier in their minds to go to an ER engagement because their primary care access points are not as, as accessible. They're not there. They're not ready for them. Uh, and some of that is because of the lack of labor uh, in those primary settings, obviously predominantly on the physician side or PA or, or NP, right? And so those opportunities need to continue to accelerate much faster. They need to continue to be brought to the forefront, called out. Uh, perhaps special programs nationally need to be developed where these placements are of opportunity for folks to come to settings like these and be able to be placed accordingly and increase uh, access points, uh, particularly in primary care. But I, I think some of the leveling is taking place. Uh, some of the, again, some of the margin compressions that took place as a result of some of the disruption through COVID and three years after, those are beginning to level set uh, quite a bit. Access to care now is beginning to be more on the forefront in terms of people's policies and programs that ultimately need to be developed. And so we're excited and motivated to do that, but the work still uh, plenty to be done. And I think the call for for us to think of access as a matter of equity, as an issue of equity, to think of uh, you know labor shortages as a matter of equity, and how do we coalesce and, and definitely create a better opportunity and collaborate to, to meet that need? I think that that's why uh, conferences like the one that we're hosting uh, are necessary to be able then to say, uh, how does this uh, opportunity turns into solutions so that we can solve the problems of communities like the Rio Grande Valley. Well, Edwin, let's talk a little bit about this conference. Uh, you know, this is a an opportunity to work together. And, you know, we've partnered between my organization, the Institute for Advancing Health Value at the Levitt School of Health and your company, AltaCare, to seek a unique approach to catalyze health equity in the Rio Grande Valley. And you, you and I both recognize that the inherent ecosystem needs to push to leverage the power of coopetition 
to expand access and promote inclusivity. And, you know, for our listeners out there, this term coopetition, you know, this is a transformational strategy. You know, it combines the elements of cooperation and competition. It involves competing organizations in the same market working together on something that's mutually beneficial while simultaneously competing in other areas. And coopetition in healthcare is the catalyst for transformative change where the pursuit of collective well-being transcends individual interest and collaboration becomes the cornerstone of a healthier local ecosystem. And, you know, the Institute and AltaCare are coming together to form this event where we can collaborate to address these issues through innovative coopetition, you know, a program that's really designed to transform the landscape. And eventually our vision is to replicate and expand this to other regions in the country. And so this event, it's called Accelerator 2023. It's going to be held on October 17th in Mission, Texas. It's going to bring together the health systems, ACO leaders, CBOs, higher education, entrepreneurs, civic and other community leaders. We're going to be joined by Anish Chopra, who is the the former uh, CTO for the U.S. federal government uh, with the Obama administration, currently the CEO of Care Journey. We have Sister Norman Pimentel, who's the executive director of the Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. She was a few years ago on the Time uh, 100 Most Influential People in the World list. Um, This is a research-backed event. We're going to be focusing on developing a solutions framework for the social, economic, and environmental factors that contribute to health disparities. And the participants there are going to analyze and review data-driven case studies uh, for successful community-level interactions that can take place to improve equity. And, you know, this effort is going to really be geared for a long-term approach to creating impactful strategies that can drive high-level tactical execution. And it's going to be a platform for inspiring collective action and nurturing that culture of coopetition to advance health equity. We also have opportunities for people to join virtually as well that can't be there in person. But, you know, Edwin, I wanted to, you know, with that context, uh, I wanted to see if you could provide our listeners with an overview of the work that we're doing together to bring community health and equity transformation in the region. How are we going to make this happen? Yeah, no, Eric, excited to continue to partner with you in this work and and not only you, but the Institute and, and WGU and the School of Health and obviously AltaCare and the work that we're trying to engage in the patient experience and transform that opportunity there through, through appropriate at-home care strategies, right? And so that process is going to be fun. It's going to be a fun day. So if you're in the Valley or in Texas, you want to come physically here, register, you can go to www.equity accelerator.org and that will give you an opportunity to register accordingly there but but the reason why we are doing it uh eric as you were talking about is we want to make sure that we advance equity uh through community-based focus conversations that's the concept of coopetition you described so well this ecosystem must include the patient 
And we'll have patient voices represented through research, but also through uh, some surveys that we have handed out into some of our offices locally so that that voice is represented. Some patients will be there as well. And that will be exciting to see. We want to make sure that all healthcare providers, so if you are a CEO of a hospital, a nurse, a care coordinator, a director of IECO, uh, if you work in community-based organizations like uh, 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 food banks or any of these other mechanics uh, that are ultimately impacting health, we want you there. If you're a nurse, if you're an MA, if you're a physician, if you're an MP, we want you there. If you're a director, a system level, perhaps, or a smaller entity, we want you there. If you're in the SNF sector, uh, we believe that your presence will enhance our capacity to be able to understand the degree in which this ecosystem can be influenced to then accelerate equity through health value mechanics. And that's exciting. We're also focused on whole person care. And that that's we're putting the head back in the body if you're thinking about you know the, the importance of behavioral health. We're asking patients what matters to them rather than what's the matter with them. And so that question flip, if you will, turns the uh, the opportunity for us to be able to see a different dial and how those things ultimately work. And so we want to develop cross-sector collaborations. We want to be a force multiplier. We want to make sure that healthier communities exist where it's a full day uh, to a degree come. Uh, Anish uh, will present national data, and that's going to be uh, pretty significant. We'll commemorate work of local leaders like Sister Norma Pimentel, who've done work here for 30 years, time person of the year uh, uh, nominee, if you will. And so we are excited about that work. And so please be with us here. Uh, we can register virtually if you're not from the Valley. Our goal is to be able to replicate similar concepts, deductively thinking about the data and its impact over the last 10 years, since Dr. Guanda's published article to today, what has happened in the Valley and communities like the Valley, uh, like the Rio Grande Valley. And as a result of that, then we are asking a fundamental question, to what degree has health value accelerated health equity? Where are the gains? Where are the opportunities? How can you, from your vantage point and your organization, then collaborate with each other and then cooperate, if you will, with others around so that you can then turn your community around towards better health equity as a result of this? There is a movement in health equity now more than ever, and I am I'm excited about it. Uh, perhaps it becomes cachet. I don't want it to be a fad. I wanted to make sure that we are actually focused on the real programmatic and structural changes necessary to be able to make the change happen. I want our offices, our clinics, our hospitals, uh, would love to see all of the community-based organizations present here so that we can then deliver the opportunity to get this ecosystem activated for better health for that individual that is seen there, that 85-year-old or that 65-year-old or that 40-year-old, uh, that we have a social care system that ultimately impacts and makes the opportunity for change that I think it can be possible in communities like this. So come learn, see where it's at, grab a few co-workers if you're going to do it virtually, if you're going to do it physically as well, uh, come register on that equity slash uh, or dash uh, um, uh, accelerator.org. Uh, and that will give you an opportunity to see more information in there. We're excited to host, uh, excited to partner with you, Eric. I thank you once again for uh, the foresight and the vision uh, to continue to do this work and continually do it on the ground. It will be transformational for communities like these. We want to take this with communities across the country and be able to do replicable activity that models how 
this coalescing ultimately can change healthcare in your community. Well, Edwin, it's such an honor to be able to collaborate with you. And this is really God's work here. I mean, health equity transformation in underserved regions like the Rio Grande Valley, it's not just a matter of providing medical care. It's a testament to our commitment to justice, compassion, the recognition that the well-being of every individual, regardless of their circumstances, is a reflection of our shared humanity. Whereas Dr. Gawande wrote about you know, McAllen, Texas being the highest cost region in the country and the economic imperative to transform healthcare. I mean, was what this type of event does, it, it it addresses both the economic and the moral imperative to address healthcare for our most underserved. And so Edwin, as we finish up our conversation today, could you provide us with some parting thoughts on health equity leadership in this new era of uh, value transformation and provide maybe some some thoughts of inspiration? as we're looking to win this race to value? Well, thanks, Eric. I, mean, I, I hope it's inspiring. I hope it is at least minimally an opportunity for you to reflect. But it's impossible to continue on a trend line where your zip code is a better determinant of your health outcomes than your genetic code. And that reality, that truth, that fact, can something can be done about it. We can begin to turn around uh, with focus, with justice-minded, with opportunity for uh, equalizing uh, engagement, access to services, mindfulness around what we do, uh, uh, continually providing opportunity for balanced uh, entrepreneurship that facilitates uh, better service and better opportunity, uh, and, and obviously the, the the needed collaboration that exists in communities like these from all organizations, we, we want that opportunity to be real, and we want to ensure uh, that the genetic codes uh, have an, an influence uh, to a degree much greater than your zip code because your social context and construct, those social influencers can be mitigated because we paid it with attention and focus and directedness and, and obviously uh, an appropriate co-opetition approach. And that allows us to engage uh, the needs of our patients and the needs of our community in a way in which is transformational. So we're excited about it. We're hopeful about it. We believe that you can be part of that conversation and you can be part of that change, that your organization should be part uh, of, the, of the conversation to ensure uh, that your voice is represented, uh, that all problems are understood in ways in which is comprehensively viewed, but we also find ways to provide the right solutions because we are accelerating the moral imperative of health equity in our communities like these. So thank you once again. Thank you for you to listen. We invite you one more time, October 17th from 8 to, to 5, 4 o'clock or so central time. Uh, it's going to be an engaging opportunity. It's going to be in a massively data review, but it's going to be very tangible solutions that we want you and your organization to contribute so that your communities can be transformed as we hope to do so. So thank you once again, Eric, and thank you to the Institute. Thank you to the Race uh, to Value podcast. It's exciting to be back. 184 is as exciting as number one. So thank you once again. Well, thank you, Edwin. And this is such a transformational opportunity in your region, the Rio Grande Valley, what was once known as a microcosm of economic dysfunction in our country in healthcare. It's now a beacon of hope for the rest of the country to look at as a testament to power 
uh, to the power of resilience and innovation and a collective vision to create a brighter future and healthier outcomes for our communities. I appreciate your your leadership. It's great to be with you again, my friend, on the podcast. And I'll have to invite you back on you know episode five hundred and something. You know? <laughs> uh, it, it would be great to do that. But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing the the upcoming event and uh, and just a little bit about the community and some of the challenges that are happening happening there. And again, that website is equity dash accelerator.org. And uh, Edwin, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, brother.